The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar On the second day thereafter, the Echo de France, which had apparently become the official reporter of the exploits of Arsène Lupin, it was said that he was one of the principal shareholders, published a most complete account of his attempted escape. The exact wording of the messages exchanged between the prisoner and his mysterious friend, the means by which correspondence was constructed, the complicity of the police, the promenade on the Boulevard Saint-Michel, the incident at the Café Soufflo, everything was disclosed. It was known that the search of the restaurant and its waiters by Inspector Duzy had been fruitless. And the public also learned an extraordinary thing which demonstrated the infinite variety of resources that Lupin possessed. The prison van, in which he was being carried, was prepared for the occasion and substituted by his accomplices for one of the six vans which did service at the prison. The next escape of Arsène Lupin was not doubted by anyone. He announced it himself in categorical terms in a reply to Monsieur Bouvier on the day following his attempted escape. The judge having made a jest about the affair, Arsène was annoyed, and firmly eyeing the judge, he said emphatically, "'Listen to me, monsieur.' I give you my word of honor that this attempted flight was simply preliminary to my general plan of escape. I do not understand, said the judge. It is not necessary that you should understand. And when the judge, in the course of the examination which was reported at length in the columns of the Echo de France, when the judge sought to resume his investigation, Arsène Lupin exclaimed with an assumed air of lassitude, Mon Dieu, mon Dieu, what's the use? All these questions are of no importance. What? No importance? cried the judge. No, because I shall not be present at the trial. You will not be present? No, I have fully decided on that, and nothing will change my mind. Such assurance, combined with the inexplicable indiscretions that Arsène committed every day, served to annoy and mystify the officers of the law. There were secrets known only to Arsène Lupin, secrets that he alone could divulge. But for what purpose did he reveal them, and how? Arsène Lupin was changed to another cell. The judge closed his preliminary investigation. No further proceedings were taken in his case for a period of two months, during which time Arsène was seen almost constantly lying on his bed with his face turned towards the wall. The changing of his cell seemed to discourage him. He refused to see his advocate. He exchanged only a few necessary words with his keepers. During the fortnight preceding his trial, he resumed his vigorous life. He complained of want of air. Consequently, early every morning, he was allowed to exercise in the courtyard, guarded by two men. Public curiosity had not died out. Every day it expected to be regaled with news of his escape, and, it is true, he had gained a considerable amount of public sympathy by reason of his verve, his gaiety, his diversity, his inventive genius, and the mystery of his life. Arsène Lupin must escape. It was his inevitable fate. The public expected it, and was surprised that the event had been delayed so long. Every morning the préfet of police asked his secretary, Well, has he escaped yet? No, monsieur le préfet. Tomorrow, probably. And, on the day before the trial, a gentleman called at the office of the Grand Journal, asked to see the court reporter, threw his card in the reporter's face, and walked rapidly away. These words were written on the card. 
Arsène Lupin always keeps his promises. It was under these conditions that the trial commenced. An enormous crowd gathered at the court. Everybody wished to see the famous Arsène Lupin. They had a gleeful anticipation that the prisoner would play some audacious pranks upon the judge. Advocates and magistrates, reporters and men of the world, actresses and society women were crowded together on the benches provided for the public. It was a dark, somber day with a steady downpour of rain. Only a dim light pervaded the courtroom, and the spectators caught a very indistinct view of the prisoner when the guards brought him in. But his heavy, shambling walk, the manner in which he dropped into his seat, and his passive, stupid appearance were not at all prepossessing. Several times his advocate, one of Monsieur Donval's assistants, spoke to him, but he simply shook his head and said nothing. The clerk read the indictment, and the judge spoke. Prisoner at the bar, stand up. Your name, age, and occupation. Not receiving any reply, the judge repeated, Your name. I ask you your name. A thick, slow voice muttered, Baudru, Desiree. A murmur of surprise pervaded the courtroom. But the judge proceeded, Baudru, Desiree, ah, a new Elias. Well, as you have already assumed a dozen different names, and this one is no doubt as imaginary as the others, we will adhere to the name of Arsène Lupin, by which you are more generally known. The judge referred to his notes, and continued, For, despite the most diligent search, your past history remains unknown. Your case is unique in the annals of crime. We know not whom you are, whence you came, your birth and breeding, all is a mystery to us. Three years ago you appeared in our midst as Arsène Lupin, presenting to us a strange combination of intelligence and perversion, immorality and generosity. Our knowledge of your life prior to that date is vague and problematical. It may be that the man called Rosta, who eight years ago worked with Dixon, the prestidigitator, was none other than Arsène Lupin. It is probable that the Russian student, who six years ago attended the laboratory of Dr. Altier at the St. Louis Hospital, and who often astonished the doctor by the ingenuity of his hypotheses on subjects of bacteriology and the boldness of his experiments in diseases of the skin, was none other than Arsène Lupin. It is probable also that Arsène Lupin was the professor who introduced the Japanese art of jiu-jitsu to the Parisian public. We have some reason to believe that Arsène Lupin was the bicyclist who won the Grand Prix de l'Exposition, received his 10,000 francs, and was never heard of again. Arsène Lupin may have been also the man who saved so many people through the little dormer window at the charity bazaar, and at the same time picked their pockets. The judge paused for a moment, then continued, such is that period which seems to have been utilized by you in a thorough preparation for the warfare you have since waged against society, a methodical apprenticeship in which you developed your strength, energy, and skill to the highest point possible. Do you acknowledge the accuracy of these facts? During this discourse, the prisoner had stood balancing himself first on one foot, then on the other, with shoulders stooped and arms inert. Under the strongest light, one could observe his extreme thinness, his hollow cheeks, his projecting cheekbones, his earthen-colored face dotted with small red spots and framed in a rough, straggling beard. 
Prison life had caused him to age and wither. He had lost the youthful face and elegant figure we had seen portrayed so often in the newspapers. It appeared as if he had not heard the question propounded by the judge. Twice it was repeated to him. Then he raised his eyes, seemed to reflect. Then, making a desperate effort, he murdered. Boudreau, Désiré. The judge smiled as he said, I do not understand the theory of your defense, Arsène Lupin. If you are seeking to avoid responsibility for your crimes on the ground of imbecility, such a line of defense is open to you. But I shall proceed with the trial and pay no heed to your vagaries. He then narrated at length the various thefts, swindles, and forgeries charged against Lupin. Sometimes he questioned the prisoner, but the latter simply grunted or remained silent. The examination of witnesses commenced. Some of the evidence given was immaterial, other portions of it seemed more important, but through all of it there ran a vein of contradictions and inconsistencies. A wearisome obscurity enveloped the proceedings until Detective Ganimar was called as a witness, then interest was revived. From the beginning, the actions of the veteran detective appeared strange and unaccountable. He was nervous and ill at ease. Several times he looked at the prisoner with obvious doubt and anxiety. Then, with his hands resting on the rail in front of him, he recounted the events in which he had participated, including his pursuit of the prisoner across Europe and his arrival in America. He was listened to with great avidity, as his capture of Arsène Lupin was well known to everyone through the medium of the press. Toward the close of his testimony, after referring to his conversations with Arsène Lupin, he stopped twice, embarrassed and undecided. It was apparent that he was possessed of some thought which he feared to utter. The judge said to him sympathetically, If you are ill, you may retire for the present. No, no, but... He stopped, looked sharply at the prisoner, and said, I ask permission to scrutinize the prisoner at closer range. There is some mystery about him that I must solve. He approached the accused man, examined him attentively for several minutes, then returned to the witness stand, and, in an almost solemn voice, he said, I declare, on oath, that the prisoner now before me is not Arsène Lupin. A profound silence followed the statement. The judge, nonplussed for a moment, exclaimed, uh, What do you mean? That is absurd. The detective continued, At first sight there is a certain resemblance, but if you carefully consider the nose, the mouth, the hair, the color of the skin, you will see that it is not Arsène Lupin. And the eyes, did he ever have those alcoholic eyes? Come, come, witness, what do you mean? Do you pretend to say that we are trying the wrong man? In my opinion, yes. Arsène Lupin has in some manner contrived to put this poor devil in his place, unless this man is a willing accomplice. This dramatic denouement caused much laughter and excitement among the spectators. The judge adjourned the trial and sent for Monsieur Bouvier, the jailer, and guards employed in the prison. When the trial was resumed, Monsieur Bouvier and the jailer examined the accused and declared that there was only a very slight resemblance between the prisoner and Arsène Lupin. Well then exclaimed the judge. Who is this man? Where does he come from? What is he in prison for? Two of the prison guards were called, and both of them declared that the prisoner was Arsène Lupin. 
The judge breathed once more. But one of the guards then said, Yes, yes, I think it is he. What? cried the judge impatiently. You think it is he? What do you mean by that? Well, I saw very little of the prisoner. He was placed in my charge in the evening, and for two months he seldom stirred, but laid on his bed with his face to the wall. What about the time prior to those two months? Before that, he occupied a cell in another part of the prison. He was not in cell 24. Here the head jailer interrupted and said, We changed him to another cell after his attempted escape. But you, monsieur, you have seen him during these two months. I had no occasion to see him. He was always quiet and orderly. And this prisoner is not Arsène Lupin? No. Then who is he? demanded the judge. I do not know. Then we have before us a man who was substituted for Arsène Lupin two months ago. How do you explain that? I cannot. In absolute despair, the judge turned to the accused and addressed him in a conciliatory tone. Prisoner, can you tell me how and since when you became an inmate of the prison de la Santé? The engaging manner of the judge was calculated to disarm the mistrust and awaken the understanding of the accused man. He tried to reply. Finally, under clever and gentle questioning, he succeeded in framing a few phrases from which the following story was gleaned. Two months ago, he had been taken to the depot, examined, and released. As he was leaving the building, a free man, he was seized by two guards and placed in the prison van. Since then, he had occupied cell 24. He was contented there, plenty to eat, and he slept well, so he did not complain. All that seemed probable, and amidst the mirth and excitement of the spectators, the judge adjourned the trial until the story could be investigated and verified. The following facts were at once established by an examination of the prison records. Eight weeks before, a man named Baudru Désiré had slept at the depot. He was released the next day and left the depot at two o'clock in the afternoon. On the same day at two o'clock, having been examined for the last time, Arsène Lupin left the depot in a prison van. Had the guards made a mistake? Had they been deceived by the resemblance and carelessly substituted this man for their prisoner? Another question suggested itself. Had the substitution been arranged in advance? In that event, Baudru must have been an accomplice and must have caused his own arrest for the express purpose of taking Lupin's place. But then, by what miracle had such a plan, based on a series of improbable chances, been carried to success? Baudru Désiré was turned over to the anthropological service. They had never seen anything like him. However, they easily traced his past history. He was known at Courbevoie, at Anières, and at Levallois. He lived on alms and slept in one of those ragpickers' huts near the barrier de Terne. He had disappeared from there a year ago. Had he been enticed away by Arsène Lupin? There was no evidence to that effect, and even if that was so, it did not explain the flight of the prisoner. That still remained a mystery. Amongst twenty theories which sought to explain it, not one was satisfactory. Of the escape itself, there was no doubt, an escape that was incomprehensible, sensational, in which the public, as well as the officers of the law, could detect a carefully prepared plan, a combination of circumstances marvelously dovetailed, whereof the denouement fully justified the confident prediction of Arsène Lupin, I shall not be present at my trial.